Please listen carefully. Hello, and welcome to the Optimist Daily's Weekly Roundup. I'm Ariel. And I'm Carissa. And we're working hard to put solutions in view and optimism in movement. So hello, we're back again with another week of sharing solutions from the Optimist Daily. Ariel, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, It's been a very stormy couple days in Amsterdam, but I kind of like it. It just feels really cozy. And as long as I don't have to be biking outside, um, I'm enjoying kind of the the stormy, raininess of it all. (laughs) How about you? I'm doing well. I had kind of a very warm week. I was down in San Diego visiting my friends. I just returned. Oh, nice. That sounds lovely. But um, there was a little bit of a heat wave. I guess that this time of year in Southern California, it tends to be like kind of warmer anyways. I should have known better as a former Southern California resident too that, you know, early November, late October is pretty warm still. Mm-hmm. What did you do with your friends? Well, it was Halloween. So we did a lot of Halloween celebrations like Haunted Houses. And the Haunted House is funny because it reminded me of our previous pod recording when we talked about the thrills and chills of horror movies. Oh, yeah. Did you go and see a horror movie at all? We had a at-home viewing of Five Nights at Freddy's. It was like free on... <laughs> Peacock or whatever streaming service it was. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of nice because kind of like we talked about in the podcast, I was like, okay, keep the volume down, guys. I'm just going to kind of be looking at my phone <laughs> while it's going on. Practicing your coping mechanisms. <laughs> and then it was just nice. We took a couple nice beach days and it was a good time. But I'm kind of glad to be back at home now and have a little bit of time to myself because I know the next couple weeks and weekends especially are super booked for me. There's a lot of holidays and celebrations coming up for the end of the year. And I know, Ariel, you're going to be spending a lot of time with your family and loved ones as well, right? Yes. I'm going to be packing up my house this weekend and getting ready to go to Canada with my dog. Yeah. So that'll be nice. We'll be spending two months with family, which is honestly a lot to spend with family, yes. but <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it as well. I think that it's going to be jam-packed just with socializing and catching up with people that I care about. Yeah. So yeah, I I feel you with the the lack of me time coming up. (laughs) We're super fortunate that we're able to spend time with our friends and loved ones, but I know we're probably going to have a lack of time for solo dates with ourselves. So it brings me into my solution if I can go into it. Yeah, go ahead. Which is... Ideas for solo dates, how to enjoy me time and practice self-care. I'm personally a really big advocate of getting to know yourself because your relationship with yourself is arguably the most important relationship you'll ever have and definitely the longest one you'll have in your life. You're stuck with yourself. So (laughs) I personally love my me time, but there's a couple date activities that even I, a big advocate, are sometimes hesitant to do alone, but I think there's a lot of cool things that we can do alone to kind of get to know yourself and really spend that quality time with yourself. And back to the whole idea that the holidays are coming up, Mm -hmm. there might be some of us who might not get to see our family or friends. I think this gives really good ideas for if you have to spend a lot of time with yourself too. Nice. So important to reconnect and touch base with yourself for some quality solo moments. So Ariel, how do you like to best spend your time alone? Or when you take yourself out on a date, what kind of activities do you think you do? Um, well, I spend a lot of time walking. 
And I'm not alone because I have my dog. Yeah. <laughs> but that is uh, definitely a space and a moment during my day where I can be with myself and focus on my own thoughts, maybe reflecting on what's been going on in life. I find it a really nice decompression time. Mm -hmm. I used to also journal a lot and I want to go back into it. I think that that would really help me when I'm home with my family. Yeah. Uh, just to maybe vent or process things. Yeah, I think it's kind of a seasonal thing for me. I journal more in the winter than I do in the summer. But yeah, I, I think... Those are probably my top two, but I also just enjoy trying new new hobbies, being creative, whatever comes my way, whether it be crocheting or watercolors or whatever catches my eye. Yeah. But yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, I really should make like more intentional time for myself. Yeah, making that intentional time, really checking in with yourself and really um, yeah, just treating yourself, dating yourself, having a good time, being a good partner to your mind. So, <laughs> I guess I'll go into the ideas that this solution uh, shares. Uh, dating yourself, as this article says, it can appear unusual or even scary at first. So, the therapist that specializes in anxiety and life transitions, Cassie Ekstrom, who suggested these tips argues that going on solo dates can lead to personal growth, better self-confidence, and a deeper connection with your actual self. So if you're ready to begin this self-discovery adventure, we've got some terrific ideas to make the experience fun, gratifying, and freeing for your solo dating. The first tip or idea that she shares is going on a scenic hike. If the prospect of going out alone in public makes you nervous, you might consider going on a nature walk or a gorgeous trek. Mm. It's an excellent beginning point for your solo dating trip, and it will provide you with solace, allowing you to escape the stresses of social settings and enjoy some much-needed me time. Furthermore, research shows that spending time outside and engaging in physical activity might reduce stress. Ariel, you were saying you like to go on walks, which is a little bit different from, I guess, like maybe a more strenuous hike. I guess going on an actual hike, you definitely have to be mindful like where you go. Mm -hmm. Safety first. For me, there's so many hikes that I wanted to do and I just haven't done them. But I think that would be a good time to reset and really, you know, immerse in the moment. There's a lot you can do with yourself in that time. Whether it's like listening to your favorite music, reflecting as you usually do, like walking mm -hmm. or just taking in the view. Yeah. Or listening to a podcast like this one. <laughs> exactly. Then here's another way that might seem a little bit hard to do is going on a solo film date. But even for me, like I sometimes like going to the movies, I'm like, are people going to look if I'm alone? But realistically, nobody is. So Yeah. Once the movie starts, then everyone's focused in the same direction. Yeah. I haven't gone to the movies by myself. I actually don't go to the movies often. Um, I would go and get popcorn and then leave. <laughs> but maybe next time. <laughs> You'll stay around. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, the popcorn is one of the best parts. <laughs> if you do go to a movie, then you should choose a movie you're actually passionate about and then you really probably won't care about who's around you. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a good reminder because it's like a simple one, but it's also one that I too am like, oh, it's a little out of my comfort zone, I guess, to go alone. <laughs> All right. And then another suggestion is coffee, comfort, and connection, which just means you can go to a cafe and maybe enjoy a solo cup of coffee. So 
I think I kind of do this, but maybe not as often. When I was in college, I'd go and do my homework and such and study in a coffee shop. And that was always fun to do. You can read a book and, you know, or just sit and journal maybe with the background of the coffee shop. I think it could be a good place to relax if you need a quick, easy, simple date for yourself. Mm -hmm. And then another suggestion is to sweat it out with a solo fitness journey. You can either do what you already do or maybe try something new if you've been wanting to try something new. Mm -hmm. If there's a fitness class that maybe you're wanting to take, I know for me, there's a lot of different classes that I've been interested in maybe, but going alone kind of sounds scary. Mm, Yeah, I guess it could be intimidating. (laughs) I think this solitary date of going on this fitness journey can really help you celebrate your individual strengths without feeling pressured to keep up with others. Going alone, you can kind of... Do at your own pace, relax, and again, have a new experience with yourself. Yeah, that's actually cool because I guess I never considered this like a date with myself. Maybe I just need to shift my mindset, but I do yeah. go to a lot of fitness classes just on my own because, well, none of my friends like want to wake up early enough or yeah. sometimes I invite someone and they come once and they're like, yeah, that was great. And then they never come again. Um, <laughs> But yeah, maybe if I like shift my mindset, because even tomorrow I'm going to a spin class and I always go by myself, Mm -hmm. but it just feels like a task to me when I think about it. But if I like consider the fact that I'm really focusing on my body and my needs and make the mindset a little bit less like a task that I have to do and more something that I'm doing to invest in myself because I love myself. Yeah. (laughs) Good. This is nice. (laughs) I'm glad you pointed that out because I think that's something we're realizing there's really like a mindset difference that you want to go into with these ideas because yeah a lot of it can just seem like normal tasks but if you go in it with the mindset of I'm really loving myself today then I think it really goes into the whole date aspect a little more that because you really are dating yourself Mm -hmm. these next two suggestions are kind of something you can do maybe at home so the first one is just indulging in self-care if you want to have an at-home spa day. This is one of my favorite activities because I love being able to, you know, take a long shower, put on really nice lotion and have a nice cup of tea or something. So <laughs> this is a good one that you can do whether it's at home or even maybe if you have the means to treat yourself to a spa day somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then the next one is to cook up a culinary masterpiece. Mm. I know for me, I feel like making a really good masterpiece is hard when I'm just like, oh, it's just me. <laughs> it's hard in general because I'm not the best chef, but also I do like cooking. I like to like experiment. But I'm like, if I'm just making it for myself, like why would I do that basically? Because you're worth it. <laughs> exactly, Ariel. That is exactly right. Because I am worth it to put all the effort in for a nice meal and sit down and eat the nice meal. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's another great one too, because you don't just have to cook for a significant other or on a date, you can cook for yourself. And then the final ones that we have are Raising a glass if perhaps you're an alcohol drinker and want to step into a bar. It's kind of the same idea as going to a coffee shop. You can go to a bar maybe and sit and chill and try out a new drink. Or even if you're feeling social, maybe talk to the other people there, the other customers or the bartender. Mm -hmm. And then finally, I think I take part in this one maybe a little too much, is shopping and exploration in retail therapy. (laughs) 
Me so, too. <laughs> exploring your favorite stores alone away from the crowds can be a very freeing experience. You can satisfy your curiosity and hobbies at your own speed. I personally kind of prefer shopping just in general, not even on like the date aspect by myself. So I'm not rushed. And also, I feel like if I'm shopping alone, I'm I'm kind of not pressured to like make rash decisions because yeah. I'm like with friends or something or on a date and be like, should I buy this? Like, yeah, like buy it and stuff. Like <laughs> treat yourself. But realistically, most of the time, like when I'm by myself, I actually like can make a better decision. So those were just kind of a few ideas anyone can follow. It's really important to choose things that speak to you and allow you to experience self-discovery, self-care, and true delight. And after all, like I said in the beginning, the most important relationship you have is with yourself. Mm -hmm. I also have a lifestyle story. I think it's, it's just a little bit more on the serious side. It might be a bit of a tone switch, but I'm just going to jump into it if that's okay. Yeah, I think let's just jump into it. It's a really good one for these days too. So, um, Okay, so lately it's increasingly challenging to discern fact from fiction. Yeah. I mean, the society that we live in today is a very visually literate society. We communicate who we are through the use of online representations and curated, like basically avatars of our personalities via social media, especially when it comes to platforms like Instagram and TikTok. So with this highly visual culture comes the reality of living in a world where face filters and AI generated images and deep fakes are all running rampant. Mm -hmm. And altogether, that creates the perfect environment for fake news misinformation and disinformation to thrive. So the article that I chose to talk about today is titled Combating Visual Misinformation, an Everyday User's Guide for Times of Conflict. It's an article that goes through strategies to navigate visual trickery and disinformation so that we can better understand and interact appropriately with the realities of the world that we live in. This sounds like it's going to be a really useful and definitely timely article to everything that's going on right now. But before we dig into the solution, Ariel, I have a question. So you said both misinformation and disinformation, which are terms that I hear thrown around pretty often. Can they be used interchangeably or is there actually a difference between them? That's a great question. Um, basically... Academics distinguish misinformation from disinformation based on the intentions behind their creation and why they're being circulated. So misinformation refers to false information that isn't intentionally created to deceive, whereas disinformation includes incorrect information. So that could be manipulated visual content and made up stories or made up facts and they're distributed with the deliberate intent to deceive and cause harm or basically just like warp the reality of a situation yeah in the early stages of conflict miss slash disinformation often spreads rapidly for instance since the war began between israel and hamas social media has been rife with images and stories of attacks and a lot of them were proved false so i'm not sure if anyone remembers the screen grabs and videos of a supposed hamas militant shooting down an israeli helicopter or like 
just multiple scenes of violence against Israeli troops in Gaza. Many of these clips actually ended up being from the video game Arma 3. I'm not familiar with the video game, but apparently it's really popular. Mm. But of course, like this kind of thing isn't just happening in terms of the Israel-Hamas conflict, but in many different conflicts. Exactly. And I know during the Russian invasion of Ukraine, there were a lot of false stories that emerged. Um, One of the early ones claimed that President Zelensky had fled Kiev. And these rumors were eventually debunked because a video of President Zelensky posted of himself and his team in the streets saying, we are here, we are defending Ukraine in the capital. But before that, the initial confusion allowed these false stories to circulate pretty widely. So, Mm -hmm, Yeah. And unfortunately, disinformation isn't just limited to random people or like private Actors, governments, military personnel, separatist groups have increasingly used false information or the dissemination of it during conflicts to manipulate narratives and then influence public opinions. Mm -hmm. Some believe that regular people like you and me passively Mm -hmm. consuming content online don't have to be responsible or like don't bear any ethical responsibility for the information they encounter because we're just like scrolling. You could argue that we're, we're just being bombarded with images or with information. Yeah. But in this day and age, this perspective kind of oversimplifies the matter because everyday digital media users have the power to shape the content they see through their interactions on social media platforms. Like whatever you like, whatever you comment on, whatever you share, it all um, it all comes together to create I don't know, certain targeted content. Right. Algorithms, as most of us know, play a significant role in in shaping the content that we see. Mm -hmm. And these algorithms are influenced by users' previous interactions. So when we engage with content related to conflict and violence, then we're more likely to see even more similar content. And this can lead to a dangerous spiral where I think YouTube's older algorithm directed users towards extremist content depending on what they were watching yeah while social media platforms have policies against violence and graphic content enforcing these policies can be challenging like I I can't even imagine how they how they do that and in some cases during ongoing conflicts the standards for violence and graphic content are relaxed and that allows posts that display violence or advocate violence against specific groups to become more commonly seen and and circulated widely. So the permissive stance contributes to the spread of misinformation and deception during violent conflicts. Ariel, what can we do to assume ethical responsibility for our content consumption, especially kind of in times like this? Well, it's a it's it's like a gargantuan task. Yeah. But we can try to combat it by changing our digital media engagement behaviors and like watching our habits by reducing our exposure to misinformation and disinformation. Uh, You can do that by hiding, reporting, or unfollowing violent content. And these actions can also help prevent misleading information from being passed on to others. Another strategy is to block or unfollow content creators or accounts who have previously shared misleading material. Mm -hmm. And that way you can take proactive steps to curate the content that you see and help build a more responsible digital environment for you to interact in. I guess it's hard because during times of conflict or any time really, 
image verification is really important so that you can properly block or flag um, the right accounts. Right. And how can we go about verifying images online? One approach that the article talks about is known as SIFT. That stands for Stop, Investigate, Find, Trace. And this protocol encourages users to pause whenever they encounter an image, research its source, look for additional coverage, and then trace quotes and claims back to their original context. And so how can you trace the images to their original sources? Yeah, it sounds like a lot of work, right? Yeah. (laughs) If you really want to be responsible content consumers, then I suppose these are the steps that we have to take. But it doesn't have to be difficult. Like for instance, Mm -hmm. Google's reverse image search can be super valuable in tracking down the origins of photos. So this function, I'm sure like we've all used it maybe, um, It allows users to select an image or a portion of an image and then see where else it appears online. And you just you just upload it like it's like a regular search in the search bar. But there's like a little Mm -hmm. camera icon, I think. And then you can search the image. And yeah, so that's that's a helpful tip. Yeah. And while these techniques are helpful, they can only be applied to a fraction of the images encountered daily. So I guess. To wrap it up, we just have to admit to ourselves that there's no foolproof method at this point to control all the images seen during conflict. We can only try to do our best. But if we understand the power that we have as everyday users to influence the content just by being thorough with our verification standards, that can help mitigate risks and promote a more honest digital landscape because it's like the wild wild west out there even despite like everything going on and stuff and all these images that are manipulated like the power of ai that's growing is really making it hard sometimes these Mm -hmm. days so yeah so we have to be even more vigilant so even though it feels like we're just constantly being bombarded with posts and images in actuality the way that the algorithms are set up now, we can play a significant role in preventing visual misrepresentation and disinformation, or at least curbing it during times of conflict. And I think something we've really emphasized on the Optimist Daily and just in general, a good practice too, is making sure any news information you consume just from verified sources. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of sources out there that have a good reputation and will correct themselves when they've shared misinformation or just images that weren't correct. And it's always important to have a good curation of verified news sources as well. That's a good tip as well. Um, And just like maybe trying to stay away from headlines that seem like way too over-sensationalized. Right, Uh uh-huh. It's just such an emotionally charged space to be like social media and Mm -hmm. media in general these days. Like we do have to remind ourselves that a lot of publications do have more clickbaity things just to elicit an emotional response from us. But yeah, I guess we just have to be diligent and aware of just how common misinformation and disinformation are. Yeah. Well, I think that was a really good roundup of two of our lifestyle articles this week, but we had a lot of great other solutions that you can find on our website. And these include how we rock the spectrum, creates inclusive play spaces for neurodivergent kids, This simple tip will increase the gut health benefits of the probiotic foods you love and the dawn of space-based solar energy, a sustainable solution to our energy needs. Nice. We also have France pledges to embed abortion rights in constitution, a win for reproductive freedom. 
Empathy and Compassion, How to Help a Loved One Suffering from PTSD, and Schoolboy's Innovative Smart Spoon Revolutionizes Meals for Parkinson's Patients. And if you want to start your day off right next week, make sure to subscribe to our free daily newsletter where you can get our solutions straight to your inbox. And we also have more solutions on our social channels that we're sharing. You can find us at The Optimist Daily on all of our platforms, including Threads and Pinterest. The only difference is on X, previously known as Twitter, we're known as Ode to Optimism. We'd like to remind you, as usual, that we're a small team of optimists working hard to bring you positive news. If you want to support our mission of putting optimism out into the world, which I think is really necessary right now that we are always exposed, maybe even overexposed to so many dark things happening, then please click on the link in the show notes to find out how you can help us out. And support doesn't always have to be financial, even just recommending our podcast to a friend, leaving a career review on Apple or Spotify maybe, or sharing a solution on your social channels would be a big help spread a little optimism Mm -hmm. thanks for joining us this week and we'll be back next week with more solutions ciao bye